everyone, and welcome to the Democracy, Democracy Podcast. Podcast. I'm Lana. I'm Ronak, and today we'll be talking to you with Alex Lachance about complex systems and its relation to U.S. politics. The past couple episodes have been pretty mainstream topics, but this one is a little more scientific and a little more theoretical in terms of how we might conceptualize our political system to have these push and pull dynamics that we see evident in polarization. This topic is a little bit more uh, heavy in terms of technical definitions and you know systems and theories, hence complex systems. <laughs> with that being said, I'm going to kind of take the uh, back seat with this one, let Lana lead the conversation so I can learn before I speak. But I will be asking questions that may appear dumb or may appear very philosophical depending on how you look at it. Yes, I, I definitely think it's good to emphasize like the breadth of knowledge we have. Alex is getting his master's in, what is it? Computer science. And I have some experience with complex systems in my PhD program. And Ronald really. hasn't really... <laughs> yeah, he, he hasn't had that kind of experience. So shout out to Alex for uh, educating me on complex systems. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. and welcome to the podcast how are you doing good how are you oh you know i'm doing dying of allergies i'm ready for like the warm weather yeah it's that time of year so let's talk about how you got here because um you messaged the democracy pod on facebook which was awesome because it was like getting nailed for the first time. You're our first person who ever messaged us um, and mentioned that you wanted to come on and talk about stuff that you think would be appealing to both sides of the aisle. So why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and like why you kind of formed the ideas you have and what you're hoping. Yeah, so, you know, I saw uh, that uh, you guys were starting this podcast and I thought it was a good idea and I like discussing things with people and the whole corona thing has kind of made it difficult. I'm just sitting here talking to myself most of the time. Relatable. (laughs) Um, So I saw the podcast and was like, oh, that'd be, you know, cool to be able to... uh, talk with you guys i haven't seen you people since uh <laughs> north smithfield uh high school or, or yeah exactly um and i had some uh thoughts that are non-controversial in general <laughs> and i felt like we could have a good discussion so uh, like you said i reached out and was like hey like you know i have some <laughs> ideas that we could discuss and mm-hmm. i mean i'm hoping to talk about you know i said like complex systems i guess was uh the general yep. way of saying it but that just kind of ties into generally um how the political system and how society generally is navigating and what the roles are traditionally of more left-wing or more right-wing people. Mm -hmm. If we explain what the roles of the left and the right are, and uh, I think that could honestly help with some of the polarization as well. Both sides can't achieve their goals because uh, unless obviously there's a working together and and that's I guess kind of what I wanted to talk about a bit yeah why don't you kind of explain so uh we brought up the idea of complex systems which can sound very scientific and scary but what you're kind of bringing up is more of a theoretical kind of 
values-based, principles-based kind of idea of what uh, politics and government should be doing is like kind of what I gathered and like what the role of government is and the role political parties play in that government and how that relates to each other. Mm-hmm. So do you want to talk about that and how it might relate to... How, how do you go from polarization in politics to complex systems? Like what is the journey that your mind takes to get there that could people could understand? Okay, yeah. So um, I guess generally when looking at society it falls into a category of complex systems which is essentially when you have something that has a lot of different parts to it and the different parts interact in a way where it's not super predictable what changing uh, a part of it will have on the outcome so with politics that ties into you know the laws and economic policy and social policy and the whole society is essentially a complex system and in that system we need to make positive changes that improve society which we have been clearly if you look like 1700 1800s now clearly there's progress both technological societal health wise whatever metric you want to look at so the issue is if we lose what has allowed us to have that progress which is a dynamic between change and stability and conversation between people that uh, have a psychological bias towards preferencing stability or change that's kind of the engine that drives society and growth i think there is a quote from a complex adaptive systems book uh, which sounds super fun to read yeah Uh, right it says systems that are too complex are static and those that are too active are chaotic and thus only on the edge between the two behaviors is where a system can undertake productive activity you can look at this change and stability dynamic across multiple different fields Mm -hmm. so left and right is the political one clearly where the left tends to be more for change and the right more for stability a conservative or the right person and a left person are getting the same information from the environment and it's just that one uh person like the left will be more willing to quickly and dramatically change their behavior to reflect that new information in a more dramatic way whereas a more conservative person will take that new information and make smaller changes is this hypothetical in that democrats are the right and the left let's say for for brevity the left and the right are are getting the same information hypothetically or are we considering the bias of information in this case yeah so um i guess in the political sense it that is another component where each individual will have different obviously sources of information given to them mm-hmm. um but you hope that on average the entire system generally has the same amount of information to work with if you have different information then it's tough to agree it's not impossible because the information is not going to be completely orthogonal or completely Mm -hmm. unrelated. There's going to be some similarity there. I think it helps to look at it from like a biology evolution point of view as well. So if you imagine we have a society that has certain knobs and and dials and stuff, uh, and those are laws, those are government policies, whatever, all the different aspects that make up society. As our environment changes, as, you know, 
um, as the economy changes, as technology changes. So the environment is changing beneath us, just like how an animal's environment in, in nature changes beneath it. And when you have a changing environment and you have a complex system, uh, the way to progress is to make incremental changes in a direction that is beneficial. And I think the biggest temperamental difference between left and right is how, how quickly are you trying to make those changes? Most changes to complex systems, because they're very hard to understand and understand what will happen if you do make changes, most changes are negatives. Um, it's very difficult to make a change that improves things uh, because, again, it's hard to predict and it can be dangerous. It can make things worse. Mm -hmm. So, Alex, you mentioned that, like, if people are exposed to kind of the same information or if they, like, kind of all read the same thing, there would be less controversy, like, less debate. But at the same time, do you think it would be hard for that to happen? Because, for example, a liberal might not want to watch Fox News and then, like, a Republican might not want to watch CNN. So, like, where do you think, yeah. how do you think that, like, there could be a solution for that? Is it viable? So, yeah, I think partly um, it's the dialogue, which is uh, not to touch on the cancel culture thing, but... Um, no, touch on it. The, we love a link. So, <laughs> so uh, I guess one of, the, one of the fundamental tools that we have is communication. Mm -hmm. Well, I also think like, AI also like favors what you see in certain ways. Like, you know what I mean? So, for example, like if I'm like hardcore into like... I don't know, Apple products, like if I go on Facebook, a bunch of Apple products will pop up on my phone. Do you think that's the same as politics or do you think it's kind of just like whatever's on the news is whatever you're kind of going to be seeing on like your social media or like whatever platform? Yeah. So I guess that's um, kind of more, it's based on what the goal of the AI is. In that case, it's like selling ads and clicks and whatnot. Yeah. But if we want to abstract it out to just like complex systems, if you like the whole thing is essentially when you have a environment that's changing in order to progress you need to update the system and exactly how you update it and how fast you update it is the fundamental political question as things change if our society doesn't change then you become stagnant and you don't progress and you don't get any better and things tend to not work that well. But because it is so complex, it is not very easy to figure out what you need to change and how. That's the conundrum, especially because the nature of complex systems are that there is a lot of nonlinear effects. <laughs> so like... Yeah, exactly. So, so you yeah, change you change something. one thing and it will have catalyst effects in ways you You have no idea understand. what it will do. So so that's what I get so that's the right point of view. The Republicans and the right are saying are their focus is things are working pretty well and we need to be very careful about making drastic changes because oh, I things can okay. get bad quickly if we make the wrong changes. But then the people on the left, they go, yeah, things can get, well, they don't even say things can get bad if we make changes. They say, these are the current issues and we need to fix them by doing this, 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 and that. Mm -hmm. So you have, the left is like the creative problem identifying, uh, pro-change, pro-risk-taking in a way. Mm -hmm. And then the right is more of like the dampening, like, okay, let's think this through, let's do this slowly, let's make sure we don't mess things up by, by going down this road. But that's the general framework. Okay. Love it. Runa, 
What do you think, like, the middle ground is for, like, finding a solution between the left and the right and trying to find a balance between, like, founding changes versus keeping the traditional ways of, like, society, I guess? You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. And I think ultimately that's communication. Mm -hmm. I think it's communication. And that's why anything that, like, anything that limits that communication or makes people... Like, one of the things about cancel culture is it can cause people to say things that they don't think are true or prevent them from saying things they think are true. And even if they're wrong, we need to be okay with people saying wrong things because if they say 5% things that are wrong, but 95% things that are right, we don't want to silence them and get rid of their opinion because of a like this. It's very difficult to solve these issues and talk politics. Um, the reason people have so many different opinions about things is because there's not an obvious answer most of the time. Mm-hmm. And, it's debatable. That's um, the whole point. Exactly. Ex- exactly. Half the population is not stupid. <laughs> and, you know, so it's just opinion and temperament difference, too. It seems like I've kind of talked about this, I think, previously, maybe in passing, not on the podcast, but the idea of what we're trying to do is kind of say, okay, there's a person behind the party. And I think what happens when you conflate, uh, not identity even, but just like, group membership and you're saying I am a Democrat or I am a Republican, then you have this general pool of um, admissible ideas and things that are allowed to be said. And then if you are saying things outside of those limitations, then you become an outcast and now you have nowhere to go. And that like idea of who's a Democrat and who's Republican and those ideas and who sticks to them is getting smaller and smaller. It seems like people are now on the outskirts and kind of like, I don't really feel like I identify with either party. Like what's going on? So let's say there's a hundred different opinions that you can have, like a hundred different topics, like, you know, Second Amendment, uh, free speech, university, economic policy, tax policy, go down the list, social policy, whatever. The whole list, there's like, a, let's call it 100 to make it a round number. What, what are the odds that, like, if you're a Republican, you agree with the Republican Party on every single one of those 100, or Democrat in the other way? Like, if you hang out with just Democrats, and I like what you said about the, um, there's kind of a formula of opinions that you need to hit. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, like very rigid. You, and if you stray outside those opinions, then you're kind of an outcast and you get like some negative feedback and you get like a little pushback. And you're, you feel the pressure to conform to one or the other because you exactly. like you're doing something wrong. And one of the, the, one of the strongest mechanisms of progress in our society is the fact that individuals have their own ideas and communicate them with each other openly. Mm-hmm. And then that allows good ideas to be can't like brought up in the social systems and social work type field as well in terms of community organization and activism it often um is empowering to people to know that their voice matters and it and that it's being heard which is why we elect government officials and we like to know that our voice matters and our vote matters and so as soon as people start realize like thinking oh my vote my vote doesn't really count or my nobody's actually cares about what I think it's just the few people in power like how much like it's not actually reality it's just what we're we're like bred to think I don't think our government system as it stands gives enough uh power and uh 
planning to the individual. Yeah. So there's two components there and it's there. So the left and the right on this is, um, the right opinion is when I say right opinion, I don't mean yeah. correct. I just mean, right. <laughs> um, is that it is more individual focused as far as the systems go. And they say, you know, you kind of need to just ignore whatever the politicians are doing, whatever structural disadvantages you have, because you can't affect those. Yeah. So you just have it's to learn helplessness. And if you spend all your time in a way, it's it's like um, if you're in a building that's on fire, the most effective strategy is to focus on what you can do to improve your situation, even though you're in a bad situation. So if you're saying it's not fair that I'm in a building that's on fire, yes, that is completely true. But what the the frame of mind that is going to be most productive and most successful for that individual's life is assuming that they're 100% in control of their lives and outcomes. It's not technically true, like right. where you're born, who, what your economic status or your parents are, if you have two parents in the household, there's a lot of factors that will give you an advantage or disadvantage, but the strategy that will best give you the most success in life is pretending that is not really worrying about those because you can't affect it and just taking action and like the learn helplessness like you said wait, it's wait, like hold if you on, tell hold people on, hold on. yep so the right thought process is i can't do anything about it so let it run its course kind of thing if an individual wants to maximize their situation, um, whether it's family, job, societal, their situation, their position in society, the most impact they have is when they focus on their, themselves, which just makes sense. Now, it doesn't mean that we should completely ignore the societal structures, and that is essentially what the left tends to focus on which is good like it's it's good that we try to figure out how to make things better but if you don't combine that with telling people like hey even though you can be in a uh rough situation if you if you just let that defeat you like you said it's a learned helplessness um you you and individual actions ultimately are the largest influence on your life because they directly affect you but that would be the traditional left and right dynamic it's the the right is like pull yourselves up by the bootstraps focus on what you can do focus on yourself and the left is more uh structural change type do you think like the left and right should communicate more and more effectively in order for them to like coexist independently uh, and like kind of like harmonize like do you think communication is one of the biggest factors or do you think there's other solutions that both political parties can take or even like people in the middle or like... So yeah, is that your argument that, you know, the left has these goals in mind and the right has these goals in mind and we need to, we need both in order to make sure that we include both considerations type thing? And, it, and it's not even like, yes, and it's not even, um, I guess, like difference of opinion. It's like the literal optimal scenario is where you have a stable society where you don't make any changes that are drastic enough to destabilize things um like for example um the right tends to be afraid of like the bernie sanders aoc economic policy stuff because it is such a large like 
they're not afraid of that because they hate poor people. They're afraid of that because it is such they a large... They don't want to mess up the status quo. Exactly. They're like, things aren't that bad. Like, things are relatively good, and we're afraid for me. that a large change... And that's enough, that is a good point we said for me. So actually, it's kind of funny. One of the things about our society, which is interesting, is as more and more people become disenfranchised or, thing, or feel like things aren't going as well for them, they tend to get more and more left uh, politically. Mm -hmm. And as people feel that things are working out for them and society is working out... Yeah, to... I noticed that. Older people tend sense. to just lean conservative because they're just more stable and everything's just fine. Exactly. Part of the animosity or unrest, like, it seems to be on both sides. Like, the, the right with Trump... That was clearly a not status quo pick from the right. So that is the right's expression of dissatisfaction the left. With the current. And that's interesting. It's like the right is dissatisfied enough. Some population, mm -hmm. it's actually like the middle and poor class uh, voter base of Trump, where they felt like they weren't, things weren't really going well. And, and I think this is a, uh, kind of a, a feeling that a lot of people have, which on both sides which is things aren't going well, it doesn't seem, but I'm not exactly sure why. And then both sides have come up with uh, ways to come up with causes that explain it. Like the left will say it's completely because of, you know, fill in the blank systemic issues mainly is their go to. Mm -hmm. And then the right will say, well, it's 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 immigration policies that are reducing uh, your your that are making labor more competitive, reducing wages. It's globalization, which is a factor, uh, although both left and right like are kind of pro-globalization because it helps corporations get cheaper labor mm -hmm. and more. Yeah, basically the political parties as they stand are a slap on label, not so much a way of life. There's so much removal from different races, classes, sexes, like there's so many things that we're saying, oh, yeah. well, you know, I don't see if I'm rich and I have a lot of money, I'm not seeing the struggle that these people over here are having because I'm fine. That's a good point. And I also think left-wing policies would be more successful if they took a different approach. I agree. So the successful people in the country, for the most part, are successful because they are doing something that on net is a benefit to society and therefore they end up with a lot of resources money so <laughs> yeah so it's like if i invent something that makes everyone's life life better when it comes to tax policy and and, and helping poor and kind of the redistributive side of the left mm -hmm. um the rhetoric tends to be you don't deserve that you're a piece of shit and you're you're a bad person for being rich and we want to take your stuff and the taking your stuff it's like it's tough because you you need to have some redistributive function capitalism as the right loves and free market and all that stuff they yeah. don't understand that without this redistribution it's not going to be yeah. possible and exactly. the people for capitalism to work you need redistribution right and so yeah. The biggest thing that alienates um, the right and the left are these things that seem like personal attacks. 
That's what the disdain I think comes from most. Underlying all of this is our natural inclination for greed, wealth, comfort, and that type of thing. There is some, there has to be some sort of psychology of, you know, a penny is to one person as a billion dollars is to another person. And that could very much, like that capitalist could 100% believe that they have no money when they have a million dollars because that's how they live. So it's like when you tell them, oh my God, just live on a million dollars, like you'll be fine. Everybody else would be like dying for that, they can't even conceptualize that way of life anymore. They're so removed from it. It's such an interesting thing to think of. Yeah, it's also, there's a uh, Gini coefficient, which is basically humans, they look at how they're doing based on their peers. Mm-hmm. So so like if you have the smallest house in the Hamptons, you psychologically feel poor. And it's a true feeling. Literally, if you really think about it, someone working a minimum wage job right now has more wealth than the richest person did like 150 years ago. Inequality is required to have a capitalist successful society. Yeah, you, you need the poor people to work for the rich people or their or not even not, that, but not you even need that. It's a win-win. Labor. <laughs> you need labor yeah. for something. It's a common view to have like an exploitive view of capitalism where it feels like people are being exploited, but if you were not part of society and not part of capitalism and you were just like on your own the fact that someone can work a minimum wage job like they can the fact that they can get a car or they can have an apartment even if it's not a big one they can have a phone they can have a laptop on a minimum wage like acquiring those resources without being a part of the system would be impossible i feel like that argument doesn't really hold here though because then you could say you know that's kind of, I feel like that's like the argument where it's like, if you don't like America, leave. It's like, if you don't like society, then just don't be in it. And well, how you are now is better off than if you weren't being exploited. You know, like, I feel like that that isn't necessarily... But I feel a... like there's pros and cons to both. You know what I mean? Like, you can't have a functioning society and a good economy and like a good GDP and like a balance of inflation, deflation without capitalism. And I think there's pros and cons, but I do think the left side tends to only see the cons but there are pros to it but it's just, it's just harder to recognize because you, you don't directly see yeah like a big amount in your bank account versus like someone that is in the one person you know what i mean it's hard to explain but i think there's actually two truths here which is why it can get like why there's a debate so again the right i was doing more of the the a, a right-leaning opinion which is mm-hmm. while there is high inequality uh, the poor people now have a lot more absolute wealth than rich people did back, bef- like whatever, pretty much it increases as you go back in time. Now the issue is the psychological feeling of the individuals who are at the bottom of society is not tied into their absolute level of wealth because their psychological peers are not people from the past, it's current people and current wealth situation. Yeah, so, and that value of wealth has completely changed. Yeah, and they so they can feel poor because they're inequality-wise relative to current people, they are poor, even though they do have a lot of stuff. 
And the issue with that, and the, and the right wing person could say, okay, they feel poor, but they're not, which is true. Uh, the poor people in America are the, in the top 1% globally still. It's kind of crazy how rich people in America are. But do we mean like poor are. or like homeless So psychologically people. poor? Because like, I think, are we talking about like people who have a minimum wage job or like people who are living be below the poverty line? Yeah, like minimum wage job, like they're in the top. If you have a minimum wage job in the U.S., you're in the top 1% of the world, which is crazy. And especially when you tell someone who has a minimum wage job, they're in the top 1% of the world. They don't feel like that because psychologically they are poor. That is That's a very like powerful mechanism. That's how the top 1% doesn't feel like the top 1%. Exactly. Wait, I'm confused. Can you explain how minimum wage people are the 1% but then don't feel like they are? Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm just getting confused. So um, if you were to take the entire globe, 7 billion people or whatever, and rank them on income, yeah. uh, if you're poor in America, um, I don't know if it's literally top 1%, but you're they're in the very top percentiles compared to uh you know if you take oh you mean the, like on like a macro level okay but so then you could say okay then why do we even need to worry about poor people they're doing better than the majority of the world no because if you psychologically if you have a large portion of the population feel psychologically like the system is not working as it should or they feel like things are too unequal they will then uh coup feel they yeah they will do coup <laughs> essentially it's the psychological like personal individualized perspective at baseline there is not even agreement about how to move forward in terms of what can even be done and like what the jurisdiction of government is i feel like the biggest argument on the right is small government small government small government small government so what, what would you say about like that? Like, why do you think that's the case that people are so on the right into small government? If you think about it from the change in stability, it's reduce the ability of the government to do drastic changes that can be bad. So if the government's small, that reduces the likelihood of the government implementing a large, drastic, dr big change policy that, is a, that ends up being a negative because a small government wouldn't be able to. So I like what you said there about how, um, you know, basically they're not willing to take that risk. They're not willing to risk fucking up the system. However, that typically means that the system's working for them, right? Because- It can, and it can also not, funny enough. It's like thinking like, like for example, there's, I read an article, I've. I think in Jacobin Magazine about how the people who support Trump would benefit the most from like Bernie Sanders policies. Yep. Like it's like that cognitive dissonance of like ideology. Yeah. It's um, how well are you doing? And then also uh, temperament and personality aspects. Mm -hmm. There's generally the five. five dimensions. Yeah. So if you're high in openness, you tend to be liberal. And then if you're high in orderliness and conscientiousness, you tend to be conservative. And this is just another thing reinforcing complex systems. Exactly. We as individuals are complex systems with all of these things influencing just our decision. And then you just get a bunch of people with different personalities together. And then those are going to define policies. And then, of course, it's going to be complex at that point. Yep. And and the more communication, the better. But it's it's painful to hear opinions that disagree with you because you have to 
accept that you're wrong, which is literally painful, and then... And then, then, yeah, and different people react differently to that. Some people are exactly. much more okay with being wrong and being humble, and that has not just genetic factors, environmental factors, familial factors, everything. It's all about, like, conflating these issues. We need to tease them out because it's not... And you can. It's Yeah, it's kind not... Of. It's it's the fact that you need to put in the work and, and have these conversations to do it. And also, I think, um, if we want to go to the alienation and polarization component, when you're trying to figure out what these issues are, because it's a complex system, there's going to be a lot of correlations and... Uh, things that are tied together that will be deceptive in your analysis. So, for example, if you do an evaluation and find that uh, black people are uh, doing worse and whatever on the metric you pick, you need to then also control for socioeconomic status. You need to control for all the other variables on top of that. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't really seem to be done. And when, well, when you fail to do that, and then you say, people who have the worst issues are black people, when really it's probably poor people and there's just a high correlation there. So then the poor white people who also are having a shit time and they're like, I need help. And yet I'm told I am oppressing when I don't have a job. I have a disabled child, all my family, the whole town is mm -hmm. on drugs and there's no <laughs> opportunities here. The whole town's like, on drugs. <laughs> but like literally in some of these West Virginia towns, it's kind of scary. And that's the majority of America. The majority of America are the working class poor. There's two roads of how do you address that? Because it's like, is the pro if the problem is poor, then capitalism with the inequality it has is the way to address that. If we want people to have more stuff and have more just things and more food and more whatever, then the inequality is not even a component because the way to advance technology and advance material manufacturing capabilities and production capabilities is to have the resources be in the hands of Amazon and of, of people that are doing things. You can say, the problem, and I think this is where people, because these problems are so complex, it's very difficult to have conversations, and that's why cable news is trash because it's yeah. three, it's like thirty seconds to explain a, an insanely a book level like you need to read and a, you can pick any point from it. You can cherry yeah, pick so any it's fact. Like, okay, we need to fix. We need to we need to help poor people. So let's make more stuff. Well, then the, and then people say like. So we have, poor people have been doing, like poor people are doing amazing right now. You have two components, you have absolute and then relative. So absolute, we've been killing. We've been, we've been eliminating abject poverty, like no one is starving anymore. Poor people have more material stuff now than ever before, especially in America, mainly in America, but uh, developed countries in general. So but the when, relative is what matters. Relative is psychologically what matters. And it psychologically matters for an important reason, because if you were in a village, let's say in our evolutionary history, and you were doing the worst in that village, then you probably are doing something wrong. And you need to have negative psychological emotion as a, as a signal to you that you are doing something wrong or, or missing out or something is not right. But when you have now what we have, which is pr relative, very high inequality and people that are poor have a lot of material things, but their brain to assess your brain goes, okay, how am I doing right now? What do I have compared to people around me? Because 
we should have somewhat similar things, at least as far as how our brains developed. It, as our brains were evolving and developing. Yeah, there's not that much difference between yeah. humans that that's what's happening. Exactly. And if before all this technological advancement, the difference between the richest farmer and the and the poorest farmer back in the it's not that big of a difference. So we are wired to be very sensitive to relative inequality. We're getting richer, but inequality is increasing, which seems to be required, unfortunately. To get improvement, you need inequality. I think there's some level of, you need at least a hierarchy of inequality that is evenly spread based on what all people hope, which is individual action. Exactly. unfortunately, that's the argument that I was trying to make with that man on Facebook. Because I said, you know, it would be awesome if we could say, yeah, you, if you do X, is going to give the same outcome as that guy over there that does X. But you can't say that. And until you can say that, then you can't say that there is equality or whoever you want to say. And I don't think you'll ever get to that point where you can say that, though. And you can also use metrics to figure out how we are doing right now. One way to make sure that the society is doing well and we have that allocation working properly is if intelligence and conscientiousness, personality factors, correlate with wealth. So, like, in our society, you can do that. Depending and it, and it's on who you but it's not ask. Perfect. Right. If you do like a, if you do a societal level, but, and it's not perfect. And that is exactly the role of the left. And as you being on the left, you are Excuse me. disposed to, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you, but you have a disposition to, to really focus and worry about the situations where there is that inequality of opportunity. It's very interesting to think of it that way, where you have a conservative, i.e. you were making the conservative argument. And I immediately was like, okay, but, and brought it back to like, let's consider that though. And then we get to some place where it's like, okay, you are somewhat correct. I am somewhat correct. And we need to create an amalgamation of that correctness. Um, It's just, I think the biggest thing is just, it all comes down to like, it doesn't all come down to anything, let's be real, but the the problem of ego being, people have a real issue with being told what to do on the left or the right. Nobody wants to be told that they aren't being disadvantaged in any way. Nobody wants to be told that they are being dis, like there are, there are people who feel. Yeah. It's just like, no, at the bottom line, like a lot of people don't like when people tell them what to do and if people on the right don't like big government then they're going to be even if the policy is good they're not going to want it because they and don't that's want their people disposi- and we need those it. people and i think like you said the people that are like we need small government i don't want any change like just don't change stuff please just stop messing with me please don't take my stuff don't mess with me like and then on, on the other end it's like um a flawed left view is it the system doesn't work at all uh there's too many things wrong with it nothing is good with it therefore we need to throw it away and start from scratch and try to make a better system that's the flawed left and then the flawed extreme right is 
Everything is perfectly egalitarian. It is 100% based on what you do and only your hard work and there is no luck and there is no help or no other factors that play into it and it is 100% me and I don't need to give anyone anything, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And in the middle somewhere is the truth. It is important to have someone who is very, very, very worried about the flaws and who is not, and who is being disadvantaged. It's very important to have that person. But that person then is checked by the person who doesn't want the drastic changes and they'll say, wait a minute, let's not change stuff. And like we did in that where I was doing the conservative opinion of um, intelligence and conscientiousness are the st two strongest predictors of wealth. Based Therefore, on what statistics? Things are working. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, but, and it's, and it doesn't seem like that sometimes. Yeah. Don't you think though, uh, based on this argument or this perspective is that in order to make change in a positive direction we need to have like 60 percent left and 40 percent right when we're coming to these because that's a good point if 50 50 would but, be a deadlock mm -hmm. and nothing would get done also true so that's a good point but people's um opinions do change over time as well so and again it's a it's a process that's and i think that's I, another thing with the left and right is um the left will identify an issue and then they'll say, we need to fix it now. Why the hell are we letting this issue stay like this? Mm -hmm. And the right is, it's a time thing. So it's over time, it's slowly... And the institutions we've put in place are slow. Like, the government yeah. is slow, yeah. and, it's and it's slow for a reason. Yeah, it's partly slow because, again, if, if things are working well, you don't want it to quickly change. Your, everyone's hope should to be eventually be a conservative... Because that would mean that you're comfortable. things were fixed. Things were fixed enough, and things have made enough progress to where you're fine. Like, oh, we're like 99. Like, if we try to improve it more, we're probably not going to get any better. Like, it's like if you're um, trying to fix a house, uh, the the if the house is like, you know completely awful then you need a wrecking ball to take it down and and start but if you have like a pristine house and there's like a like one paint spot you're not going to take a wrecking ball to it you're going to say let me do this small little change yeah. to fix it I and think, that's all we need and i think the perspective as well is for people who are being disenfranchised in the black community they feel like that isn't just a screw in the house right they feel like it's actually yep half the house or whatever but that also is could be true it's it's this interesting dichotomy between what we feel to be true and what is exactly coming up with ways of measuring the success and how mm -hmm. things are that's that's key and that's and that's key. the thing that's too making sure like the system is working for everyone is kind of like That's the a, overarching yeah. left kind of yep. point. Uh, making and sure I think the, the systems... right too, because if you on the right, if you're pro business and pro economic stuff, if you're not, if there are people like if, for example, if there's like an Albert Einstein who happens to be black and poor, and you don't let them be able to express those that that skill then everyone makes less money everyone does worse off same with hiring that's why i love capitalism because it's built in anti-discriminatory because if if you're if you're if company a is racist or sexist and company b is not then company b is gonna hire and, and the guy with the good idea black and woman exactly 
Exactly. So there's a natural force towards anti-discrimination built into the system, which is it's great. just slow. Um, do you think policies can sometimes disproportionately like disadvantage certain minorities or groups? So, for example, I was reading an article from a Stanford professor, and he was saying that gentrification was extremely like high, especially during COVID, because people were kind of forced out of like the inner city and like forced to move out. And the article said that black people are the highest, like have the highest rate of that disproportion, like disadvantage. So like, do you think that still exists with the policies that are, mm -hmm. have been enacted yeah. and will be ensued in the future? Like, do you think that like institutions of like racism and like yeah. all types of- I guess that's, yeah. that's a good point. So that's the thing I think. So um, with that example, and sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. Sorry about that. Part of the issue with the identity politics stuff is by bringing race into it and making the racism thing front and center, you're- We ignore all it, because it's, it's not technically correct. And, and that will, by saying it is racism that, for example, in that case example, now someone who doesn't want to help out the, the poor people, they can say it's not racism, that's not an issue, I'm gonna ignore it. Whereas if you said, it's not, it's not a racist policy, it's a policy that hurts poor people. And because- And poor people city, are poor, majority. Inner city poor people are majority black. But it's not inherently, yeah. so by saying it's inherently racist, you're attributing a motive to where it's a function of wealth. And if there was a poor white person in, that, in the same area of those black people, they're getting affected. And if you say it's racism and you're like, no, it's not, that's hurting white people, then you lose the argument. And then, and also by saying things are racist, when they're like anti-poor and there just happens to be a high correlation. There's totally like if, two if, different if, things, yeah. Exactly. If a policy is anti-inner city poor, it's not technically racist. It's anti-inner city poor. And the people in inner city poor, from historical reasons, have been heavily black. Exactly. And that right. is why those statistics are so high. So instead exactly. of asking ourselves, why is this policy disenfranchising black people specifically, it should be, why are all of these black people in inner city poor yeah. and how can we help? Right. It's like we should focus on like the general problem rather than a specific facet of it. Yeah. It's not completely accurate too. And just being slightly inaccurate in these very difficult complex systems and trying to solve them, you need to be very, very precise. Yeah. And um, also it's an, it's an alienation thing. Like if you say it's a racist policy, then you will it's hindering progress um, of the actual like the, the the poor trump white supporter which is a, was a large thing in 2016 they were like i'm tired of being called racist and when i just work and i come home mm -hmm. and that's all i do and yet i'm being i'm suddenly racist and then also the even solutions. though i never even interact with black people exactly and then also on the solution side there's going to be a lot less support for solutions that are race focused because you're immediately alienating when you get into that. Let's say there was a policy that was like, uh, well, it doesn't even solve the issue completely. Cause like in that inner city uh, example where it's inner city poor people getting hurt, if you go, oh, um, it's racist, it's, it's therefore our solution could be giving checks to black people in the city. It's like, well, wait a minute. Now that white person who's poor in that same neighborhood is going to get screwed because then they're you didn't, the one that you didn't proportionally yeah and then they might get angry like then they might not support it and then it's a whole and that comes down to like 
the statistically speaking, the likelihood of that white person to be in the impoverished area is more likely to have to do with those individualized forces than they are to do with not the necessarily. Their parents forces. could have been addicted to drugs, and they could have been homeless, and they could have been. Um, I guess it's somewhat individual, but, but not statistically them. speaking, right? Like what what I'm saying is like because black communities statistically speaking have more of that it is less likely for white people to get into that situation just by accident by chance but then it's like why it why, is for a black why even need to separate it out if it's like it's almost like if poor if we can just say oh we should probably help poor people out and that completely encompasses all and is a more direct mapping to the issue um that might be better and again i'm not even saying well, like, that assumes that all poor people are like are on the same playing field which is is the idea you know that like being poor being a woman being uh black those being a woman and and having and being black have been institutionalized in policies before that we're still living the effects of that white people haven't been affected by. So also that's drug why policies, the statistics. Or if you have globalization policies that took away manufacturing jobs, which caused a lot of people in manufacturing cities to be depressed, which caused them to turn to drugs and alcohol, which caused their kids to be poor and white, usually because it's like the Rust Belt manufacturing Appalachian Detroit area. Mm-hmm. So there, there's so many previous issues and factors that go into it and it's a combinatorial explosion if you try to say okay let me look at this specific situation let me fix this specific instead of saying this is where we are now this is the situation we're in right now with everyone what can we do as a society that will make everyone in the society better off uh, and society as a whole better. We can't ha- hold a historical dr- grudge. And because it's like, what historical grudge, like, how how do you distinguish between, because there's so many factors and people's pe- previous histories are so complex. It's very, you, you all of a sudden you start excluding people and including people that, and it becomes messy and it becomes difficult to parse out. Whereas if you just said, okay, this, this is where we are right now, what can we do that will make as many people better off as we can while also making sure we're not like ruining things at the same time? And that's ultimately the goal. It's like the Republicans and the right are focused on not ruining things and the left are focused on helping the disenfranchised. You wanna balance the risk. If It's like, if you're not exactly sure um, what, how quickly thing if you're not sure the the default should be like moderate 50 50 which i think is people on most issues like if someone's not super well informed on an issue they tend to be kind of just moderate because it's like why they're not going to have a strong opinion to keep it the way it is and they're not going to have a strong opinion to change it because it who knows what the right answer is the political party labels is what bothers me the most because if like Nonpartisan Paul, like I, I literally said the other day I came out as nonpartisan because I was like, I wish I could just uh, assess each candidate that I have the eligibility to vote for in terms of their values, in terms of their perspectives on different issues that I feel resonate with me. Blanket, you know, in terms of blanket policies, blanket labels, blanket anything is always an oversimplification. True. I was going to say to wrap up, um, moderates are becoming more and more common and 
this type of conversation is becoming more and more necessary. So to wrap up kind of what do you what do you want to do and like what do you think we as a collective in terms of the podcast in terms of America in terms of people like if you could say this is what like could help a little bit what do you think would be the best route forward so i it's it's difficult because um most people just don't have time to or interests in in thinking about all of these complex issues so so that's one thing it's like i don't really blame people for that um i guess the biggest thing is you should probably reevaluate if you agree with one side 100 percent down the down the line in all opinions because the odds of you agreeing with the party on all of those issues probably just means you're not really thinking about them yourself and you're just kind of tagging along but yeah so i guess that's it people should probably be less tied to their opinions more open to change our generation i feel is much more open to this and i think that's just true like gen z statistically speaking is like more open and more progressive and i don't necessarily think I mean, obviously, it's read in a political way where it's like, oh, they're so progressive. But I also think it's beneficial to have a generation of open-minded people because then they're going more likely to engage in this conversation. I would argue that, like, our generation is less polarized than the country at large. Yeah, and I think just from remembering that um, us included probably are wrong on most <laughs> things because it's very complex. Mm-hmm. And that there are benefits to left and right and being completely left or being completely right is usually the wrong answer. It's like if you were, if you had a society that was only liberals, then it would be chaos. There would be constant change. Nothing would be like the system would just fall apart through chaos. And if you had only conservatives, then you would have a solidification of outdated structures that become slowly corrupt and there's no evolutionary update. Ideas sound good, but again, we're dealing with complex systems. So something that literally sounds good on paper and you can't see why it wouldn't work or why it's a bad idea, it still might be a bad idea and you might not realize it, so we need to be careful. Yeah. And that's the whole discussion. And if you understand that, you shouldn't hate the other side. That's true. If you understand that. It's humanizing others with different perspectives and that's like the whole point, because when you question those people, even who are radically left or radically right, when you question those people and and say, but could you see how, do you get why, like, likelihood is they aren't 100% Republican or, or Democrat. And I think having these conversations where you're able to, um, like, even if you're not understand, like, I feel like some people, like, this is a pretty intellectual conversation we're having, but if we're having, um, just a general conversation with others, um, at a family fucking party or something, you know, being able to have civil conversations about your experiences as valid and expressing hardships and understanding different problems that we have, that's how we're able to kind of create a coalition of understanding. We live in a, in a society where, um, in order for the government and, and society to, to be sustained, we need to engage in this dialogue yeah. with each other. And if that is like what is not happening anymore. And that because is concerning the, for the everyone. Is usually, because the optimal is literally usually like in the middle mm-hmm. somewhere. It's like if people on your side have really terrible ideas and opinions, 
all you're doing is making the actual good ideas on your side more difficult to get through because the other side won't focus on your good ideas. They'll focus on your bad ideas, and both sides do it. Don't I don't um, agree with a um, yeah. a bad idea on your side just because it's on your side. Yeah. Don't yeah. be afraid you need to almost be to break extra that. careful not to because that it will diminish your good ideas and prevent actual problem solving from happening, which is the actual goal of things. We want people to not be afraid to take the leap and break the shackles of political party and be able to ha be an independent thinker and make those choices that some dem it's okay to think some democratic policies are good and some republican policies are good it doesn't yeah. make you a bigot and a racist to like some republican policies yeah. and it doesn't make you um a radical leftist to like some democratic there it's not yeah like and it's funny so the election where it's like two bad choices that happens with ideas as well on both parties. And we We're have like, to settle. like, how are these the two options that are being discussed right now? And you're like, like wait, I feel ideas. like I That's... could come up with a better idea than this. What the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> anyone. Well, thank you so much, Alex. I really enjoyed our conversation. I think it's awesome to talk to somebody. Like, I still honestly think you could be left-leaning or right-leaning. And that's where I've kind of landed is this nonpartisan type type. Feeling. And I think that's a good place to be. Thank you for messaging us on Facebook. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had this yeah, conversation. Yeah, that means a lot. All right, well, TTYL. Great. Yeah, I've had a great conversation. Good talk. Hey, bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Are mammals just whales? Or, like, are all... Mammals, whales, but not all whales are mammals. No, wait, fuck that up. So are all whales mammals, but not all mammals are whales? Like, where do we draw the line? What is Biden going to do to clarify that shit? Because I'm pretty fucking confused.